This podcast is intended as general information only and is not to be relied upon as legal, financial, or professional advice. A professional advisor should be consulted regarding your specific situation. It is also not an offer to sell or purchase Edgepoint Investment Funds. Hello, this is Derek Skomorowski speaking. This is the second quarter fixed income commentary titled Fish, Where the Fish Are. It is my humble opinion that if you read a commentary and haven't gone out of your way to plagiarize some idea initially introduced by Charlie Munger, you're just not trying. After all, he and his business partner Warren Buffett are legends in the investing world. With that in mind, we'll start this note with a quip that Charlie's delivered in the past, although never so eloquently as at this year's Daily Journal meeting, where he described how sources of excess investment return can change over time. I have a friend who's a fisherman. He says, I have a simple rule for success in fishing. Fish where the fish are. That, that's, you want to fish where the bargains are. That's simple. If the fishing is really lousy where you are, you just probably look for another place to fish. In fixed income investing, we're all fishing for income. But when risk-free interest rates are close to zero, there aren't an awful lot of fish to go around. And so to generate any income, we're gonna need to take some level of risk or we're all going home hungry. If we simplify the investable universe, our view is that we can group typical fixed income risks in four different buckets. We can also say with some level of certainty that whatever balanced fund or bond fund you own, you're taking at least one, and in most cases several, of these risks. These risks include complexity, leverage, duration, and credit. Complexity risk can generally be summarized as owning a bunch of stuff you don't understand. Anytime your bond fund is loaded with asset-backed securities, residential or commercial mortgage-backed securities, or collateralized debt obligations, it's highly likely that very few investors have any clue about the credit worthiness of the borrowers or how the proceeds will be used from the thousands of individual loans and mortgages that are pooled in these vehicles. We don't buy stuff we don't understand. Leverage risk involves borrowing money to enhance returns. This works until it doesn't, and when it stops working, the investment vehicle that employed the leverage will need to sell out of existing positions at rock-bottom levels or dilute existing investors by raising additional cash at bad prices or it will go to zero. The disappearance of liquidity in the darkest days of March 2020 saw a lot of levered fixed income funds on the brink of collapse. We will never jeopardize the portfolios with the use of borrowed funds. Duration risk is the risk most prevalent in balanced portfolios. In fact, substantially all large balanced portfolios that have reported strong year-to-date returns are riddled with this risk. Duration risk involves buying bonds that don't mature for many years and whose price is ultra-sensitive to tiny changes in interest rates. As interest rates declined so dramatically over the past 30 years, portfolios that held these securities benefited greatly. But an unfortunate characteristic of these funds is that they lock in prevailing interest rates for the duration of the portfolio. Today, long-duration portfolios are a one-way bet that the lowest interest rates in history will go lower still. With interest rates as low as they are, 
and management expense ratios on balanced funds as high as they are, it's hard to imagine long-duration bond portfolios making any money at all over the coming decade. We invest to make money. Credit risk involves the risk of lending money to businesses. This is the risk pool we at Edgepoint choose to fish in. We do this because corporate bonds, particularly high-yield corporate bonds, have offered outsized returns over the long term, and we think we can add meaningful value by picking the businesses we want to lend to. As business analysts, we know how to analyze and value a business, and from there it's not a major step to figure out which businesses can pay us back when we buy corporate bonds. Volatility spawns opportunity, and there's been no shortage of either one through the first six months of the year. Within our balanced portfolios, two-thirds of our fixed income allocation remains invested in investment-grade bonds, and the stability of these issues has been a source of cash year-to-date, allowing the portfolios to take advantage of mispricings in the market. At the same time, the volatility this year continues to provide rare opportunity. High-yield bond markets have staged a strong recovery over the past two months, but proclaiming the opportunity as over is the wrong way to approach the market. Beneath the surface, the fishing is still good for those willing to look where others aren't looking. Year-to-date 2020 has been a tale of two markets. Most EdgePoint partners are familiar with our investment approach when buying a stock. When buying a stock, we're buying a business. Of course, we want to be buying a high-quality business, but we also want to have a proprietary insight. That's a view about the business that isn't shared by others. We use the very same approach when investing in high-yield bonds. Proprietary insights, or unique views, are a lot easier to come by when fewer people are looking at a particular company. Naturally, this means we try to look where no one else is looking. This might mean we focus on smaller bond issues that trade less frequently and are underfollowed by other analysts. We also pay zero attention to credit ratings. In fact, we own a significant position in unrated issues. These are bonds that no credit rating agency has looked at or provided an opinion on the business. These bonds are typically misunderstood by the market. The bonds we buy are often out of favor for some reason that has nothing to do with the long-term prospects for the company. And finally, anytime we invest in a bond, we make sure that the return on our investment is attractive relative to all other opportunities. Coming into the year, our approach led us to several overlooked areas of the market. In our online version, we show a chart that suggests that at the end of 2019, double B-rated bonds, so the highest rated tier of the junk bond market, were trading at the most expensive level in history relative to investment grade corporates based on option adjusted spreads. At the same time, triple C rated bonds, the lowest rated tier, were more attractive than ever before relative to the broader high yield market. By no means were we piling into triple C rated issues but certainly between the most expensive tier and most unloved corner, there were swaths of opportunity to deploy capital at attractive rates. The first six months of 2020 have revealed what is quickly becoming a bifurcated market. 
the disparity between double B rated bonds and the lower rated issues has only widened. It should surprise absolutely no one that these higher rated bonds declined less than the overall market as the markets hit the bottom in March. A higher credit rating implies lower short-term credit risk and the onset of recession often causes investors to fear that rising defaults will erode the returns of lower rated issues. The anomaly, however, begins with the recovery from the market bottom on March 23rd. Since that date, incredibly, double B rated bonds have continued to outperform lower rated tiers, despite the rebound we've seen in markets around the world. To say this is a rare event is an understatement. The fact is, this has never happened before. As the table in our online version will show, coming out of each and every high yield market decline of 10% or more, it was triple C rated bonds, the most out of favor corner of the high yield market, leading the recovery. In each example, this outperformance isn't merely by a couple percentage points, but rather recovering from previous declines, lower rated tier of the high yield market, delivered returns that were often multiples of the return of higher rated bonds. In fact, as the chart online will show, the returns of triple C rated bonds relative to double B rated bonds have been close to two and a half times as they recovered from a bottom. With respect to our equity portfolios, we have talked endlessly about the flight to safety that we have observed in stock markets around the world. We have described a relentless bid for obvious growers and safety in companies that are clear beneficiaries of shelter-in-place orders. We've warned about these consensus names that are trading at prices that almost ensure poor returns over the long term, and that investing in certainty has proven to be a great way to destroy wealth many times in the past. In the high-yield market, this phenomenon is hiding in plain sight. While we're looking for bonds issued by underfollowed companies with misunderstood business models and that are out of favor with other investors, the market is looking for something else. The market today is paying a massive premium for large liquid bonds with a high credit rating that everyone agrees they should own. The year-to-date returns from large liquid highly rated bonds have created the illusion that the market overall has recovered to pre-recession highs and that attractive returns going forward will be a lot harder to come by. But this recovery has been concentrated in the largest, most liquid bonds. As mentioned before, we still continue to see meaningful opportunity in many corners of the market. The disparity in the market and the relative attractiveness of our portfolio is glaringly apparent in a side-by-side comparison of top holdings in our global growth and income portfolio and the top five constituents in the benchmark index. The flight to safety that has characterized all markets around the world has seen the five largest names in the index bid to a yield of 3.8%, while at the same time our collection of what we would argue are better businesses yields 8.2%. Three of the top holdings in the index fall under the telecommunications and healthcare industries, and no doubt their perceived immunity to the impact of COVID-19 has exacerbated the bid for these bonds, but paying any price for safety creates its own risk. 
pointing out the nosebleed prices paid for growth stocks often receive some counter-argument that there's still potential for earnings growth that isn't fully appreciated. With bonds, your return cannot grow. Your interest payments are fixed for the lifetime of the bond. Still, these are the bonds that investors are clamoring to get their hands on. Our assumption when we buy a bond is that we're going to be holding that bond to maturity. Said differently, we aren't relying on anyone buying our bond other than the company we are lending to. By investing this way, we're committing ourselves to the yield to maturity available at purchase and any opportunity to sell our bonds at a higher price along the way is gravy on the potatoes. And while our bonds have been slower to recover to their pre-COVID highs, earning 8.2% from our collection of high quality businesses is a lot more exciting than earning 3.8% from a bunch of bonds that index hugging investors feel they need to own. In my concluding remarks, I want to summarize. Risk-free investing involves buying short-term government bonds. Today, short-term government bonds yield close enough to zero to call it zero. What this means for an investor is that to earn any return at all, you are going to need to take some risk. In fixed income investing, the risks you can take are few, but you want to fish where the fish are. With interest rates as low as they are, long-duration bond funds are fished out and have a leaky boat, while at the same time, fishing in complexity or with leverage is like fly fishing for piranha. And while the rebound in corporate bond markets since the March bottom might suggest the opportunity is behind us, that's simply not the case. We continue to see plentiful opportunity for excess returns. And for those with a skill set in analyzing businesses, credit risk continues to make the most sense in a fixed income portfolio. Thank you very much. Information presented is believed to be factual and up-to-date, but we do not guarantee its accuracy, and it should not be regarded as a complete analysis of the subjects discussed. This is not an endorsement or recommendation of any security. Edgepoint Investment Group may be buying or selling positions in securities mentioned. No endorsement of any third parties or their advice, opinions, information, products, or services is expressly given or implied by Edgepoint Investment Group. This podcast contains certain statements that may be deemed forward-looking, Please note that any such statements are not guarantees of any future performance results, and the actual results or market developments may differ materially from these statements. The whole or any parts of this podcast may not be reproduced, copied, transmitted, or disclosed to third parties without the consent of Edgepoint Investment Group.